The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Today, we're continuing in our series through the Psalms. So if you would, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 21. Psalm 21 is, is generally regarded as a companion to Psalm 20, which we were in last week. And so if you remember last week in Psalm 20, uh, it was written mostly from the perspective of the people of God uh, praying for their king ahead of battle, okay? And uh, Psalm 21 then is a psalm of thanksgiving and rejoicing that God answered those prayers, okay? So that's kind of why it seems that they go together. So before we read this, I think it would be wise for us to reflect for a moment on our own life and, and the prayers that we have prayed. I would ask this, ready? Crowd participation time, it's coming, you've been warned. There you go. Uh, but how many of you, genuinely, with the raise of a hand, you could say with, with great confidence that you have prayed a prayer at some point, and the Lord has answered that prayer. With confidence, you can say, I've prayed, and the Lord has answered me. Okay, amen. Uh, now, first off, there, there may be some, I know, that <clears throat> you didn't feel that you could honestly raise your hand to that question. And, and the first thing I want you to know about that is it, it really hurts my heart to know that that's where you find yourself. Um, and it hurts the heart of God. It's not God's will for you to stay stuck in that place. And I'm, I'm going to show you that. I don't want you to just take my word for it, but that's the first thing I want to say. And if that is where you're at, if, if I could just humbly submit to you that if, if what you're thinking is perhaps the reason you haven't perceived that you've had an answer to prayer is that, that all of the rest of us are ignorant or delusional, um, maybe, but that's, <laughs> that's not uh, probably the most reasonable answer of why that is, because Secondly, the Bible does provide some insight on potential roadblocks uh, or hindrances to receiving or perceiving answers to prayer, and uh, we're going to look at some of that today. So hopefully that will be helpful for all of us, but particularly for those that maybe uh, couldn't raise your hand there. If you did raise your hand, then I would bid you to join me in reflecting on this ancient song that celebrates God answering prayer and, and, and for us to be encouraged to join in. Uh, and what we, we see here is greatly rejoicing, for us to join in, greatly rejoicing that God does indeed answer prayer. So let's read this psalm together. Psalm 21, verses 1 through 13. O Lord, in your strength the king will be glad, and in your salvation how greatly he will rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. For you meet him with the blessings of good things. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you place upon him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. 
Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will devour them. Their offspring you will destroy from the earth, and their descendants from among the sons of men. Though they intended evil against you and devised a plot, they will not succeed. For you will make them turn their back. You will aim with your bowstrings at their faces. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Praise God for his word. Amen. A lot in there, isn't it? Let's get to work. So, verse 2, right, is our biggest clue pointing us to the reason for the overflow we're seeing of, of poetic praise that we see in this psalm. I already kind of let the cat out of the bag a bit before we read this, but the Lord has answered the prayers of the people over the king and the prayers of the king himself as they were heading into battle. That's the the impetus, the motivation for this, okay? So we see that. We see that verse 1 is an incredible summary of a wise, humble, and realistic posture when we experience any kind of victory in our lives. Let's look at that together. Verse 1. And here's the key that I'm I'm seeing there. O Lord, in your strength, the king will be glad. And in your salvation, how greatly he will rejoice. What I'm saying here is the key is this idea that the psalmist knows it was in your strength and your salvation, right? But how often, friends, if we're honest, are we tempted to think it is by our own feeble strength, or at least partially by our own feeble strength, that a victory is won. Sometimes we are so overcome with forgetfulness of our dependency upon our creator for the very ability to inhale and exhale that we go so far then as to boast in our own strength and think we've won whatever battle we've gone through. And friends, I just want to say this as well. It's really no better when we make some small obligatory mention of God's part in our victories, but we tell our stories and in our hearts we see ourselves as the heroes. Ooh, I thought I was going to skate past that one, but no, he caught me, right? Because that's true too. Many of us know that we should pay some lip service to God, but if we were to really look deep into our hearts, there's some confusion there about who actually the glory belongs to. That's a deception that we all struggle with something we should stand against, something that this psalm can help us with. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something with you, and I don't want it to soften the force of this encouragement towards giving God glory in every circumstance, and I don't want it to dull the edge of the warning in taking glory for ourselves, but there is uh, an accusation that's been leveled against this church before that I think we can wear as a badge of honor. Uh, someone once said that they thought we were cultish because folks from Love City so often say things like, to God be the glory or all glory to God, uh, as if many of us are like too over the top when it comes to that idea. It's, it's like, man, you're just saying that all the time, some kind of cult or something. And I just, I'm just going to go ahead and say, like, if that's cultish, then I'm happy to be guilty as charged. So right on, you know, uh, I'll take that one square in the chops and uh, I'm happy about it. Um, if, if I don't know that we can talk too much about God's glory. I don't know that we can reflect too much the reality that it is his strength and it is his salvation that we depend on. 
in every circumstance. Um, and I, also, just because we mentioned that, I want to remind everyone to grab your cup of special made Kool-Aid on the way out. Um, I, I made it myself today, and you will enjoy it. I'm just kidding. There's no Kool-Aid. If you just caught us on the internet, that was completely a joke. There's no Kool-Aid at all, all right? I don't even believe in drinking sugar like that, so definitely I didn't make Kool-Aid. All right, uh, so as I said before, I, I know this idea of God answering prayer, it's hitting some of you in different ways, okay? So let's talk about that. I, I know on one hand, we could literally, I think, be here the rest of the day if we had people come up and share stories of God answering prayer in their life. If we just popped a microphone up here and said, come on. Now, I mean, aside from the, the terrifying fear many of you have of, of talking in front of people, uh, somewhat illustrated by the fact that you hesitate to say good morning when I say it to you, uh, but that I digress. Um, but if we could get over that and we had a Holy Spirit miracle that melted all your uh, social anxiety, then uh, I think we could be here all day easily with people coming up and sharing stories of how God has answered prayer. I totally believe that. I know that's true. Um, but, <clears throat> and, and, and in that, I, I want to say that we're not doing that today. Maybe we will at some time, but I, I just want to encourage you um, to take every opportunity you have to share those stories. And, and not only to encourage others, but to remind yourself of God's great faithfulness. Uh, it's so important, man. I, I, you know, I've encouraged many people over the years Sometimes there's a lot of wisdom in, in, in having a journal and writing down when God answers prayer, man, because just sometimes we, we forget. We, we forget God's goodness. We forget God's faithfulness uh, in small things and, and sometimes even in big things, and that's a tragedy because the, the memory of God's faithfulness is part of what's supposed to carry us into the next battle. <laughs> it's supposed to what's help us to have that real hope uh, that comes by persevering uh, and by seeing God's deliverance again and again. Um, and just full disclosure, I've, I've really been thinking and praying um, sometime for, for some time about how to create more opportunities for us to do that as a church. So pray with me about that if you would. I think having more chances for people to share those kind of stories, not just the ones they've already got built up, but as it's happening could encourage us together as a body uh, to really believe what we sang this morning. Um, and it's, it's interesting because last night late, I was sitting thinking through this again and praying about it. And, and I asked the Lord that we would sing something that would communicate um, or point us to this, particularly this idea of God's presence that's here in Psalm 22. And we sang this morning this idea, uh, declaring in faith that God is here, that God is moving, even when I can't see it or I can't feel it. Uh, and that's, I'm so thankful for that reality. And the more we share with each other and share with others, the reality of God's movement, his faithfulness, uh, the more it's going to help anchor us into those promises and truths. Uh, when the storms of whatever it is that's trying to blow us about is doing its work, uh, whatever storms are doing their work, God is always working too. I'm real thankful that's true. But I know for some of you, you may feel you've never had a prayer answered, or maybe <clears throat> some have not been answered. That's a possibility. And I, I want to quickly address some of what the Bible tells us might be going on there. Okay, so first of all, we need to remember that God can answer prayers in three main ways. Okay, the three main ways are yes, no, and later. Okay, now 
<clears throat> sometimes we don't like no or later and we mistake those for no answer at all. Okay? What do you mean? Well, it's like this. It's like when my son Max, when, when I tell him he cannot have his 64th snack for the day, okay? And then he comes up again five minutes later. He's eight and... Um, I want him to be studied. I don't know how he can eat as much as he does and still want more. But, you know, if anybody's got a lead on somebody that could find that out for me, I'm sure the, the data would be interesting. Um, but, you know, he, I'm like, no, man. <laughs> and then five minutes later, uh, he comes back asking again. And then, I, you know, I, and then I give him that look that it's like, bro, you're about to get thumped in the forehead. Like, why, why are you back here five minutes later asking for a snack again? Um, and, and he'll, and literally, these are the words that'll come out of his mouth. Oh, oh, oh I didn't hear you. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's a problem. I mean, le- legit, when he was younger, we, we like had his hearing tested because we weren't sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's all, we can all laugh at Max about snacks and stuff, but that's us with the Lord sometimes. <laughs> we didn't like the answer. And so we just treat it like a not answer. Sometimes on purpose and sometimes not. Yeah. Yes, Lord, that's me. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm at least tempted to that. Uh, but the Bible does tell us, so sometimes that's the problem. We just, the Lord has answered and either we actually don't perceive it or we ignore it or we're rushing, you know, our prayer was like, we're rushing headlong towards the conclusion of what we want to happen and like, you know, in between breaths of us running as hard as we can towards that outcome that we know is right. It's like, Lord, make this happen, right? And it's like, well, <laughs> you may not be in a position then to really hear what he's got to say because you've already decided and, and you just expected the Lord to sign off on that um, in all of your infinite wisdom. Woo, amen. Did you guys not say good morning because you read ahead on the text and you know it was going to be a cut-up day? You know, it's like, ooh, the sword's coming out today. You guys, you guys are like pre-mad at me. It's okay. That's all right. I'm getting good. If I can offend you by just standing up here and saying good morning, then I'm getting really good at the craft of Bible teaching. That means we're getting right in the pocket. Amen. Uh, but the Bible, it, it does tell us that there are things that can hinder our prayers and that can dull our ears to his answers, aside from even that, that original dynamic we talked about. So I'm going to run through some of these. If you're a note taker and something catches your ear, you can uh, jot this down, but there's, there's things that can be roadblocks, can be hindrances. Uh, according to John 15, verse 7, not abiding in Jesus can be a hindrance to prayer. Uh, Matthew 17, verses 20 and 21, it says that unbelief can be part of why prayers are not answered. Uh, in 1 Peter 3, 7, we see a pretty stark warning to husbands that if they are not gentle with and honoring of their wives, that their prayers can be hindered. Ooh, 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 a shudder through the congregation on that one. Let me make a note about preaching on that more later. Okay, I didn't know. No, that's good. The real question is, was it wives or husbands going, ooh, you know? I didn't know about that one. That's in there, though. Very specific, a warning from Peter about that. To husbands, all right? To be gentle, to honor their wives or your prayers would be hindered something to think about. Uh, Praying selfishly, James 4.3, that'll hinder your prayers. Disobedience, 1 John 3.22. Not praying in God's will, we see that in 1 John 5.14 and 15. Unconfessed sin, 
James 5.16 tells us about that. Lack of persistence in prayer. Uh, Luke 18 and Psalm 55. Uh, sin against others, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. A lack of unity, Matthew 18, verse 19 tells us. can be a hindrance to prayer. A lack of unity. Pride. That's lots of places, but some of them. James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5. Proverbs 3, verse 34. Uh, lying and deceitfulness. Psalm 17.1 says that can be a roadblock to your prayers. Here's one. Some of you probably knew a lot of these or have heard these. Here's one I'm I'm betting many of you haven't. A lack of Bible reading and Bible teaching. That's Proverbs 28.9. It says this. One who turns his ear away from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Hmm. Trusting in the length or form of prayer, Matthew 6, 7, it's where Jesus warns, you know, don't pray like the Pharisees that are doing it out loud with a lot of fancy words because they're trying to impress people. That's not prayer. That's a show, <laughs> okay? And those prayers you shouldn't expect to have answered if that motive is what's going on, okay? So that, that's, and that's maybe not an exhaustive list, but it's, there, there are things that can, and, and these really, in, at one level, are, they're, relational hindrances between us and the Lord that get in the way of our communication with him because that's what prayer is, is simply talking to our father. But in the same way that uh, a child that's in rebellion um, can, can choose to isolate away from a parent and or put up a, a, a front of anger and, and vitriol, you know, we, we sometimes uh, do that to God in, intentionally and unintentionally. So those are things to, to look out for. And what, why, why did I just give you that long list? Because I'm, I'm, I know there's a reality that some of you raised your hand and said, yes, I've prayed and the Lord has answered my prayers, but you maybe also have times you felt like the Lord hasn't answered and maybe that time is now. So there's, there's things to look at. The Bible doesn't leave us blind as to what may be going on there. There's some things for us to assess. Uh, but sometimes it isn't that there are some roadblock or hindrance to prayer, okay? And this, this is gonna <laughs> illuminate for us again why we need the Holy Spirit's help so much because much of Things like this, spiritual things, things like prayer, communication with the Lord, walking with the Lord, what that looks like. What we would prefer is some much thicker black lines and, and things to be very black and white. And, and it's not, that's not always the case because there, you could have hindrances to your prayer, like a husband not being gentle and honoring his wife or unrepentant sin or a lack of unity or pride. Those, you could have hindrances to prayer. That could be what's going on. But sometimes there isn't a roadblock or a hindrance, but simply that the Lord wants to teach us something in the waiting. And this is why we, we need to be connected to God. We need to spend time in his presence. We need to be uh, people of his word and, and be people of prayer because um, man, a lot of times what happens is someone doesn't take the time to even understand there could be multiple things going on. Uh, they just make assumptions and then end up drifting farther and farther away from the Lord relationally. And that's, of course, heartbreaking to him and incredibly dangerous for us. Let me give you some verses that talk about this kind of waiting. Uh, the Psalms is really helpful for this idea. I, just, I picked a couple, but there's more. Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and I wait for his word. So sometimes there is a blessing in the waiting um, that we almost invariably will not appreciate at the time. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) 
thank you, Lord, for making me wait. I'm so thankful for that, right? Most of you haven't prayed that prayer, particularly when it's going on. Maybe in God's great grace and mercy, you're able to look in hindsight and say, oh, I can actually see what the Lord was doing in that time of waiting, and then you're able to thank him. But the hope is we can grow in maturity to enough of a point where we we come to perceive we're in a place of, of waiting before the Lord, and we can be thankful right then, trusting in faith that even if I can't see it yet, that he's doing something that's for my good. And he promised he would, and he hasn't... Hasn't failed that promise yet. Uh, Psalm 62, verse 5. My soul wait in silence for God alone, for my hope is from him. Sometimes that's just the way it looks, right? It's coming down again to that realization that all of my hope is ultimately in him, so I I may as well just wait. (laughs) Um, Even if that's not what I feel like doing. Amen. So now, after verse 2, you see the word selah there. Uh, if you're new to Bible reading, you, you might wonder what that word means. And here's something very interesting. We're not totally sure what it means. Uh, most people think we've narrowed it down to one of a couple options. It, it either, you'll see it oftentimes through the Psalms, it either, and some of you right now are thinking, well, someone told me they knew what it means. Well, I'm just telling you it's not agreed upon. <laughs> there's, there's some different ideas of what that could be, but relatively close in nature. One, and probably the most common is, is people think that's, it's a sign for, as this song is being sung, um, worship is happening by these lyrics, to stop and, and have a, a, a moment, a pause, a reflective pause is what Selah means. <clears throat> uh, some think that it, it actually has more specific kind of um, musical instruction to it, right? So that it, it means something to uh, the music players here, maybe even like like a sick harp solo or something. Like when, you know, you, you see Selah, it's time for, you know, uh, Jehoshaphat on the harp to get down. Like, everyone else be quiet, we're gonna let this man shred. So it could be that, I don't know. Uh, but in any case, it's, you know, I wanna say those are the options. I think for us, since most of you aren't gonna harp solo while you're reading the Psalms, it might be a good moment to stop and have a reflective pause <laughs> and, uh, and think about what those words are saying, amen? Amen. Uh, now, as often the case in the Psalms, there is, as we particularly move forward now, a prophetic element pointing forward beyond the events that are being described here. And when it comes to parts of the Psalms that have these prophetic elements, it's often that there is both a near and far fulfillment. And that can be hard for us to think about sometimes, but you know, a lot of times we read something, it's like, okay, well, is that talking about something in the future or is that talking about something that's happening right then? And sometimes the answer is yes. It's both, okay? And, you know, that's something that, that the Lord does, and we see that in the archetypes throughout the, the Old Testament, right? Um, it's not nothing that uh, Isaac is the miracle son of promise carrying wood up a hill for a sacrifice, and then a ram is provided so that he doesn't have to be sacrificed, right? Like, God does this. He, that's a big part of the unfolding of his redemption story is these foreshadowings. And, and you know, if I get too far doing that, then we'll, that's just what we'll be doing today. So, because it's fun and I like it, but we'll get back on track here. So, it's, it's, it's not outside of God's nature to oftentimes, as events were unfolding, moving through the, the timeline of the Old Testament, that they couldn't have seen in that moment that it was pointing forward to something. But we now have the, the great privilege and advantage of a, forward, or a, a um, backward-looking vantage point, right? And so we can see, oh, wow, that's really cool. Amen. I hope you think it's really cool. 
so <clears throat> the, the near here is easy to see, okay? Because it's basically in real time. We just read Psalm 20 last week. Israel had won the battle that they were praying about in Psalm 20. And Psalm 21 is a, a song of praise about that victory. Okay, so that's pretty easy. But we, we see in verses 3 through 7, where, where the language used, it begins to outrun even the momentous nature of the, this temporal victory, right? They've had this victory in battle. We, we see this, this psalm of, of praise and recognition of God's power as a result, but, but we, we see the language start to stretch beyond what makes sense to, to be applied just in this near fulfillment, okay? So let's, let's start to look at that together. Uh, verse 3. For you meet him with the blessings of good things, and you set a crown of fine gold on his head. When it says you meet him with the blessings of good things, it, it reminds me of that precious truth illustrated in the parable of the prodigal sons, where the father runs to meet his son on the road. And you know the richness of that encounter, it runs deep, and there's, there's so much that can be said, but the simple fact of th- that our God will move to meet us and to bless us with good things is astounding. We have a God that has every right to sit upon his throne and say, look, man, you want it, come to me. That would not be unfair. That would not even be, it wouldn't even seem like he's being mean or unloving. That is, that he would let me come to him like that is very loving and gracious. But he goes farther than that. He'll move to me in all his glory and his power and his majesty, there's, still, there's somehow a humility and a willingness to come meet me, to bring me blessings and good things, to find me where I'm at, to help me if I'm struggling to make it to him. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. I'm glad that's true. And this crown of fine gold, it, it might carry the idea of of specific commemoration of this victory in battle, or it really could also be a reiteration of the idea that we encountered in Psalm 20 about God's anointed and the significance of that. So, and it's not totally clear, it could maybe be a nod to both. Um, and there's a lot that could be said about that, but let's look at verse four. This is where the far fulfillment, I believe, starts to come into sharper view. And what I'm saying is, Again, this psalm is laying out, it's describing, it's thanking God for some things that had happened there in, in the midst of the time it's written or shortly thereafter. But I think it's also, we're also getting, we can now look at it and see, okay, <laughs> maybe even the writer wasn't aware, but this, this is also pointing forward in a pretty profound way. So it says, he asks life of you, you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. So it's one of the first clues that we're starting, to, we're starting to outrun the events being described. Did David live forever and ever? David the king? No, he didn't. Now, it wasn't uncommon in that time. And I mean, most of you have watched some movie with kings. You've heard the phrase, long live the king, right? And so that, that's not an uncommon thing. But even long live the king isn't claiming days of life forever and ever. Now, there's some that think also this could have to do with the promise of the continuation of a Davidic dynasty that God gave to David. Yes, that, that could be in there, but this is talking about length of days, talking about life that was asked for and granted. It's interesting. It's life forever and ever. And so, uh, 
One, <clears throat> one commentator, uh, his name is Boyce, he noted that some of the oldest Hebrew writings render verse 1, back at the top, where it says, O Lord, in your strength, the king will be glad. It actually renders it as King Messiah, not just king. And as far as we can tell, about the ninth century, there was an influential rabbi that argued it should be understood as pointing to David only, uh, kind of to push back against who he called the schismatics. Who do you think the schismatics were? That's Christians. (laughs) That's us. The problem causers, right? For those that didn't believe Jesus was actually the Messiah, uh, those of us that believe Jesus is the Messiah are a problem for them, right? Causing, as they would see it, schisms. So, but, but what, I'm, what I want to say is, even, but even with the word Messiah not here in verse 1, it really isn't hard to see these verses applying to David in his time, but also pointing to Jesus. Where do I see that? Well, for, I already told you the first, right? Yes, life of you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. Verse 5, his glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you place upon him. Now that makes me a little nervous in terms of the near fulfillment, right? For be talking about splendor and majesty and that being uh, placed upon a human king, those seem like words that should be reserved for God alone. But we do have to remember all that's said here, of course, was started. The context is driven by this beginning that it was in your strength and it's your salvation, right? So the, the psalm starts by us being pointed in the right direction in terms of where glory belongs, right? And so there is this idea that God's anointed in King David in this time could, could be, uh, in a way, could reflect the splendor and majesty of God. And so, but it, it fits much better to think about his glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you place upon him, pointing forward to the ultimate king who would sit upon David's throne forever and ever. His name is Jesus, right? But it's not, we're not done there. Verse six, for you make him most blessed forever. Again, eternal language. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord and through the loving kindness of the most high, he will not be shaken. And so here we see Big thank you, right, being sung to God. Big worship, big honor being given to God for all that he has done on behalf of uh, King David in this battle and the salvation of the people. I think we also see here foreshadowing and pointing this, this double fulfillment as we take those verses and we, we think about how they apply to Jesus and I would argue in many ways apply even better to him uh, than that near fulfillment. I would like us to take a minute to, to rest on verse six and to think about it together. It says, you make him most blessed forever. You make him joyful, joyful with gladness in your presence. And and you might, there, there may be a bit of a hiccup there if we think about the idea of these verses applying to David, but also to Jesus, because I'm not sure many of us think of Jesus often as joyful. I, you know, we think of Isaiah 53 that tells us Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Uh, it's very famous that the shortest verse in the Bible is that Jesus wept. We see a lot of the anguish of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane leading up to the crucifixion. And, and for some reason, it seems like the, 
man of sorrows element to Jesus' existence uh, here upon the earth, I think it gets the lion's share of the focus. Most of us probably would strain to think, wow, should, would it be accurate for me to say that Jesus was joyful or is joyful? And I think it's important for us to take a moment to think about that. The first thing we have to realize and remember is that, and we do this to God, and sometimes we do it to each other and we shouldn't, but we have to realize this, that God is not limited to one dimension when it comes to emotion, okay? And sometimes, I mean, think about it, right? Sometimes, and we'll get into this a little bit here, it's like, People think, oh, God, God is either good and loving or he's angry and wrathful. No, he's all of those things. And he can be all of those things all at once in perfect proportion. And you might think, well, man, that's hard for me to understand. Well, let, let's think about it. Because even we, though we don't do it in perfect proportion, and we're often confused about what emotion or emotions are going on at a given time, I think it's, it's also harmful sometimes when we, we narrow each other down to just one dimension. Like, you, you can't be this and that, potentially at the same time. I think of examples like this. I think of a mama uh, sending off her kindergartner to school for the first day. Think about the, the range of emotion going on there. <clears throat> Assuming in this that we, we have a good mama that loves her baby and isn't just like super thrilled to get rid of them and send them to kindergarten, right? Because, um, <laughs> you know, I'm talking about a good godly mama here, all right? So a good godly mama is going to have a range of emotions happening all at once as uh, little, the little one toddles off towards the class, right? And in one hand, there's going to be probably a, a sense of uh, sadness, some sense of um, maybe even a feeling of loss as this is a big sign of a a graduating step in that child's progression. Now they're heading off to school. It's going to mean less time with mom potentially throughout the week. And so there's, there's that to work through. There's going to be some emotions accompanying all of that. But at the same time, there will be feelings of, of joy because though for a mama, it can be hard to watch the kids grow. It's also a beautiful thing. Is that right, mamas? And so there's, there's joy and there's sorrow, there's, there's happiness and there's, there's sadness and it's, it's all mixed together. And, and why, why we, I mean, that's not even that profound of an example, but to realize that humans have the capability to have more than one thing going on at a time, why do we so often tend to silo God as if he can only be one thing? Our whole potential for emotion whatsoever comes from the fact that we're made in his image, our emotional range, though broken by sin, which is many times obvious, can you say amen? Uh, <laughs> uh, though broken by sin, our, our range of emotions is part of our, uh, the, reflect, the reflection we are of God's image. We're made in his image. Amen, that's a good thing. Your emotions are a part of being made in the image of God. That's a good thing. Now, shouldn't be ruled by those uh, and, and they, they can lead us into sin, and, and all of that brokenness does manifest. But I thought also of, of and this, this one hits home a little bit more for me, thinking of, and let's assume, a, a godly daddy um, handing his daughter off to be married. That would be, you would have a dual set of, of emotions going on there, if you're a daddy that loves your daughter. And we're also assuming handing her off to a godly man, okay? Because that, <laughs> well, anyways... Um, I imagine 
I try to put myself there emotionally and there's, there's if God grants that experience for me uh, and, and the Lord tarries, I, I can imagine uh, trying not to cry because of what that signifies. Because, you know, my, my, part, my responsibility shifts at that moment as her daddy, right? So I'm, I'm handing some of the responsibility of her care to this godly man that better do it. <laughs> A real good job at it, <laughs> okay? Uh, my man, I'm trying to tell you something. Uh, so, so there's that piece, and there's, there's going to be a, <clears throat> a sense of sadness to that. But at the same time, uh, man, great joy in watching God do what he's doing in, in growing my daughter and allowing her the, the potential to be a wife and perhaps a mother and all of those things, right? So there'll be more than one thing going on at once, okay? So I know I kind of belabored that point, but I want us to, I want us to not only be able to apply that when we're reading the scriptures— and, and that this idea really is important in this psalm in particular because it starts off like, thank you for your salvation and your strength, Lord, and majesty and splendor and glory and crowns of gold. And then towards the end, we get to arrows pointed at faces. Right? It's like, what is this psalm, did this psalm not take its medicine or what's going on, right? Because it's like, woo! We got, we got a big uh, <clears throat> mood shift here, but... What that part of what that tells us, man, is these things all exist at once in tension, in proper proportion within the character and nature of God. Okay? And that's like, well, I don't totally get it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right? Neither, neither do I. But, but we can see it. We can at least grasp at that idea, observing some of these even simple examples we're using, and, and, and the rest trust by faith. Okay? Jesus was joyful. Okay, and there's no hypocrisy in how he encourages us to be joyful. All right, so let me give you some examples because I know most of us would be straining for them uh, in thinking about this. Luke 10, starting in verse 17, says, Now the 72 returned with joy. So this would be Jesus sent um, a bunch of disciples out to, to preach the good news of the kingdom and uh, do gospel ministry. And uh, so they return, and, and they return saying this, Lord, <clears throat> even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Then we see Jesus rejoice in his connection and relationship to the Father. So I'm in the same, that was verse 20, I just read you, verse 21. At the very same time, he rejoiced. So Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for doing so was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son determines to reveal him. And so we see here Jesus rejoicing in the good plans of his father and in their relationship. Jesus is, did, was Jesus a man of sorrows? Did Jesus go through a lot? Absolutely. But at the same time, Jesus was full of the joy that comes. What did it say? Rejoice greatly in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. Then in Hebrews, we see the other primary source of Christ's joy. So I would say that first one shows us Jesus, he rejoices in the Holy Spirit and then he lays out this this 
set of things he's rejoicing about. It's that, it's that the father's plan is good and that his relationship to the father, he said, no one knows who the son is except for the father and those whom the son reveals, right? And so the, he's rejoicing in this relational connection he has with the father and, and all of the father's goodness. And then we see this, this second uh, place that he rejoices in Hebrews 12, uh, verse two says, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so what we see here is that part of what propelled Jesus through the incredible torture of the cross, the incredible pain of taking on the wrath of God in our place was the joy set before him. And if you read in context, it's, it's talking about Jesus being the originator, the perfecter of the faith. That's Hebrews 12. You look at Hebrews 11, it's very famously known as, as the, the hall of faith, where we're seeing all of these people who by faith trusted in a salvation they, many, none of them even really got to see the fullness of. But they were looking forward in anticipation to God's promise to save by his mercy and his grace. And so what, what we're seeing, what is the joy set before Jesus? Well, at least a big part of it was what the work it was accomplishing, which is saving us, right? The joy that propelled Jesus to the cross, at least in large part, friends, it was, it was those who would trust him by faith. It was those that would be given the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. And so you, 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 this hits you today in one of, that either is you because you have trusted him by faith or it is not you because you have rejected the offer of grace that comes through Christ alone. But friend, there's, there's a short bridge between you and him. It's acknowledging that you need him. It's asking him to meet you there, to save you by his grace. The point here being, you could shorthand this idea that I just laid out in somewhat long form by saying that the joy of Jesus was rooted in love for God and love for people. The joy of Jesus was rooted in love for God and love for people. And we, friends, are free in Christ to have the same type of unshakable joy. But we should be wise enough to follow our master and make sure our joy is rooted in love for God and love for people. Because that's what makes it unshakable. Amen. Our consideration of the fact that God is not one-dimensional, and, and, and like I said, we think about it, neither are we, it really sets us up well to consider these next four verses. So let's look at verses uh, 8 through 12 together. Uh, it says, Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will devour them. Their offspring you will destroy from the earth, their descendants from among the sons of men. Though they intended evil against you and devised a plot, they will not succeed. For you will make them turn their back. You will aim with your bowstrings at their faces. Uh, the easiest of those verses probably to cling on to and find hope in is 11. Though they intended evil against you and devised a plot, they will not succeed. Uh, that's, a, that's a great idea to know that the forces of darkness, uh, whatever tomfoolery they're up to, at the end of the day, uh, the Lord confuses their plans. 
And um, we've got example after example after example throughout the scriptures. And again, if we had open mic day, uh, you could share lots of stories I know of times where clearly the forces of darkness had an agenda. We're going to do this. It's going to lead to destruction. And the Lord said, whoop, nope, and just flips it over. And then we get to laugh, right? It's like awesome. That's very fun to be a part of. Amen. Uh, but let, let's just be honest here. Let's, let's talk candidly about the fact that many struggle with the wrath of God, that reading these four verses at all is, is tough to get through. Um, they, they struggle to reconcile it with a God of joy and love. And my hope is that we've already done some groundwork in, in, in at least floating the idea that those don't have to be mutually exclusive. I'm, I'm going to work more on that, but can we at least come to the table and... and from what we can observe about the nature of the way things are, the way we work, <laughs> we, can, we can have more than one thing going on at once. Now, ultimately, it's going to come down to trusting in God's good character and nature and, and that he has these things in, in perfect proportion. It is ultimately a faith thing, but let's at least grapple with the idea intelligently is what I'm saying. Let's at least run it through the grid of reality as we can observe it. Um, and I would say, first of all, in, in trying to understand how we process the idea of the wrath of God in Scripture, how we interact with sets of Scriptures like this. Uh, the first thing, I, I think, there's a lot that could be said about this, but I'm going to try to keep it short. It's the idea that uh, hate is not the opposite of love, but indifference is. And I don't know if you've heard that or not before. If you haven't had much time to think about it, you probably, it probably hits you a little odd, but I, I would encourage you to think about it more. Because if you really think about the, what love is, oftentimes, man, if, if for you to be angry enough to, to hate something, uh, they're, they're wrapped up in that is some kind of care, <laughs> right? Indifference is when you really find out that somebody just doesn't care, right? I'm not even angry about it because I don't care. I'm not angry about what you're doing because I don't care. It's going to lead you to destruction, eh. Right? Water off a duck's back type thing. That's, <clears throat> so what am I saying in that? Well, I'm saying many people think they want a wrathless God, but they really don't if they think about it. Because if you have a God that doesn't care, that doesn't care that we have this tendency to accept hammers from the enemy and smash ourselves in the head with them repeatedly through our choices of sin and rebellion, if, if we had a God that looked at and went, eh, I can't, can't really be bothered with that, what would that say about how much he really loves us? I mean, put yourself in the position as, as a, an imperfect parent, right? I mean, none of us can love perfectly. None of us are looking from God's vantage point, but I would have to venture to guess. I'm hoping, I'm really hoping this analogy pans out. <clears throat> but I'm thinking... Most of you that are parents, most of you that are humans, to see any child sitting on the ground with a hammer just smashing themselves in the forehead with it, you're not going to go, eh, that doesn't bother me. Or, or that if you, if you know there's another adult running around handing out the hammers, encouraging the children, here, here's a hammer. You know what's really fun? Smash yourself in the face with this. Like, what's your reaction towards that person? I'm hoping you're angry. You should be. And you should get involved. <laughs> A, like, let's grab as many hammers from the children as we can. 
and, and, and maybe use them on the guy. You know, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, it's the first thing that came to my mind. I, there's maybe other solutions, probably. Maybe talk first, but I don't know. Maybe start with a hammer just so he knows what he's done, and then, then we'll talk. I don't know. That's probably not scriptural, but I, you know, I'm, just, I'm just riffing here, so maybe we need to tune that up a little bit, but yeah, you can pray for me. It's all right. <clears throat> um, so that's, you get what I'm saying, man? You really don't want a wrathless God. A God that loves truly is a God that's going to be wrathful towards sin and towards the effects of the forces of darkness. Um, he's not just going to not care about it. And that's, that's deep and much, much more could be said about it. But the other thing I want us to think about when we encounter verses like this, and even when you have potentially the opportunity where someone trusts you enough to talk about their, their difficulties with the wrath of God, you know, my, my hope is you can be good missionaries in those situations and also hopefully point people to the reality that there's an incredible freedom that comes in the, the promise of, of God's justice, okay? Because if you've lived a pretty cushy life and not had many sins committed against you and everything's been pretty lucky, you know, easy, happy-go-lucky type thing, um, then this may not mean a whole lot to you, but if, if you've seen some stuff, if you've had some stuff done to you, if you've been through difficult things where you've felt the, the, the brunt and the, the sharp edge of evil and the pain that it can cause, uh, then you have probably wrestled with temptation towards taking your own vengeance or at the very least, uh, holding bitterness towards those people. And what I want you to hear is God has made plain, you know, you, it's like, what, what, is, what is all the talk about God's wrath for all the time? Well, part of it, friend, is so that you know nobody's getting away with anything. And so we shouldn't sit and vex and wring our hands when, when we see those that are clearly uh, in concert with the forces of darkness seeming like their plans are succeeding, man. We've seen that before, right? Like if you haven't seen it in your life, if you couldn't come up for open mic and give examples from your life, which I truly believe many of you could, I know I can, we, we, we go through the scriptures and over 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 again. We see the forces of darkness thinking they're, they're pulling something. Ooh, we got him this time. And then nope. Right? The pinnacle of that, I mean, the, the, the apex example being the cross of Christ. I mean, everybody in the timeline looking at the thing happening is looking at the cross of Christ thinking, oh my gosh, this guy we love, this guy we gave our life to follow, we're losing, he's dying, the Romans are killing him, what does this mean? All the time, God knowing, and that was the plan all along, that what looked like losing to everybody watching it. Was, it was the big win. Amen. And so when we read about the wrath of God, part of what it does is, it, it, friends, it generates for us great freedom because we can trust in the word that God has given us. The vengeance is mine and I will repay. You don't, you're, you have been set free from the job of vengeance. And it took me so long to be happy about that. If I can just be honest with you for a moment. I, 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 when that idea first hit me, I didn't want it. I didn't want that freedom. Because in, in my own delusion and, and, and pride, I, you know, in some ways saw myself like the punisher, right? I'm, I'm God's righteous right hand of judgment on the earth or whatever. Um, and, and not realizing how enslaved I still was to the bitterness that drove those types of feelings the pain and the hurt, the anger 
uh, that have been generated from all kinds of, of sin committed against me and all kinds of different things. And I'll tell you, I'm going to try to make this quick. And some of you have heard this before. I just don't have a better way to illustrate this. So, you know, if you've been, if you've been running with me long enough that my stories are getting old, I'm sorry. But, you know, sometimes you've got to repeat them. So here we go. Um, that, that idea of vengeance is mine. There was, there was a particular point in my life where, where and there's not many times I would tell you I know the Lord spoke to me audibly, but this was one. And so I was, I was up a little bit north of Dayton and um, working on a job. And I'd walked into the building and outside the building and I was inside of a fenced area and I'm looking down the building because it had been painted the day before. So I'm looking to see if the sheen matches and whatever. And this parking lot was on a main drag and people turned around in it all the time. And so somebody kind of zipped out of there and I didn't think much of it. But as I kept walking, I could see then the other side of my work van and the doors were open. And so I quickly realized, okay, someone had just been in there. And so I run, jump, hop the fence, run over and all of my power tools are gone. And so I shut the doors, I jump in the van and head the direction that I saw those guys go. And, and as, I, as I'm telling this story, let me make sure you hear me. I, in no way do I glory over the, the parts of this that are insane, okay? Because I know that that's true. And this was a long time ago and I, you know, the Lord's not done with me yet. Amen. But so I go after these guys and, and we hit a red light. And so I, I call the police. I started off good. I was trying to do the right thing. I call the police. I'm like, okay, here's the license plate. Here's what happened. They have my tools. And uh, the, the operator, and I understand this is standard protocol, but I, just, I didn't really like the answer right then for sure. Uh, they said, I said, here's where we are. We're turning this way. And it looks like we're getting on 75 South. You know, you guys send somebody and pull them over and get my tools. They said, well, sir, we're not going to send anybody. You need to go back to where it happened and make a report. I said, come again. And basically the bottom line was back and forth a few times, I'm like, so you're not going to send anybody, right? She said, no. I said, okay, well, I'm on the shoulder doing 80 mile an hour right now, so you'll probably hear about this on the news. So I hung up on her, threw the phone in the passenger seat, stomped the gas, and now, y'all, I'm, it's vigilante justice time. It ain't right. I'm just telling you where I was. I mean, tunnel vision, and we're, so I'm booking it down 75 South, down through neighborhoods in Dayton, I mean, if somebody would have videoed this, it, it would have, it would have been, it would have, it's, it was probably movie quality car chase. I'm not even kidding. It was crazy, but they took me down in a neighborhood, I think where they were from and, and they ended up losing me. Someone pulled out in front of me and whatever. So I go back, I make a report and I gave the officer the, the license plate number. And when he typed it in, I looked over his shoulder and I looked at the address. And so as soon as he left, I went to the address, started knocking on doors. By the grace of God, so here's where my head was at. I was hunting them, man. And, and I was in my sin and in my anger and, in, and because I wasn't walking in this principle that God'll, God's vengeance and justice is what I need to trust in, not my own. If I caught them, I was gonna put my hands on them. That's where we were at. And I was gonna get my tools back or get my tools worth out of them. <laughs> that's not really funny, actually, but that's just what it was. Thankfully, they had been raided for drugs several weeks earlier. The neighbors told me that. So I, I didn't find them that day. 24 hours passes. I'm still hunting them. I'm driving the neighborhood. I'm looking for the car, this, that, and the other. I go back to that job site because I had to check on something and let a contractor in or I can't remember exactly. But what I can't, could do is I could take you to the place where as I was walking around the edge of that building, I was in some grass. I remember picking my foot up and right as my foot touched this grass in a certain spot, not that that has any significance, I'm just telling you, 
It was a surreal moment because I heard the Lord say to me, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And all immediately, and this is an act, of, it was, a, it was a, a, an act of God's grace because my mind wasn't right about it. I'm just trying to tell the truth, okay? All of that just melted. That bitterness, that, that thirst for, for justice by my own terms and all of that, it just melted away. And right in that moment, I dropped to a knee and I prayed for those guys that whatever was driving them to do those kind of things and whatever they would, that the Lord helped them and, and, uh, and, and let it go. And, you know, the police had told me that like your tools are gone and we're never going to find these guys probably is what's going to happen. And, uh, like two weeks later they got arrested. Um, and, uh, there was restitution, um, commanded by the courts also, there was insurance, and also uh, just some people that loved me found out, and I ended up with new, better tools than everything that got stolen. Um, and I, I genuinely, I, I asked for the opportunity to go in and talk to these guys and uh, share the gospel with them. There was reasons why that couldn't happen, but uh, I'm believing that, you know, the police didn't think they were going to find them. I'm believing them, them having a, a stick stuck in their spokes, being, being arrested, that God was using that to slow them down. And, and I'm hoping that, that they've come to faith in him. Uh, and and why, why did I tell you that story? I told you that story because uh, it's very, very easy to forget that vengeance is the Lord's and he will repay. And, and maybe this is a like real on the nose example because you know I was way wilder and less spiritual than any of you <laughs> are. <laughs> and needed that, that much help uh, getting it. But I'm just telling you, um, you know, whatever interaction I may have had with those guys had great potential for damage, but so does letting bitterness just lay in your heart. Maybe, maybe more. Because <laughs> we got a tussle and some noses were broke, like those, those heal and you can see and tell. A lot of times when bitterness rests in the heart, and we don't trust that the Lord will do what's right that we can let things go and let him handle it. Oh man, the damage can be great. Those roots can grow really deep and then be really hard to get out. Amen. Uh, and, and, and also, if, if, we just, <clears throat> if we think about God's goodness and we think about his wrath, ultimately, if, if we think about it correctly, there really is no contradiction. And sometimes it feels like there is because people throw up kind of these straw man scenarios that doesn't really reflect what the Bible teaches, okay? And that's, that's problematic. Uh, sometimes God, or people will, they'll, they'll characterize it as if God is this needy, like narcissistic deity, and, and they boil the message of the Bible down to uh, basically God saying, love me or burn in hell. You know, so there's, there's some people that, that are very aggressively against God in the scriptures, they'll, they'll characterize it that way. That's, that's the message of the Bible. You love God or burn in hell. Love me or burn in hell. It's like, well, that doesn't sound like a very good choice. would be the way they'd talk about it. But I, I, would, I would encourage us that this bow analogy uh, that we see here, it's, it's helpful um, because that, that idea, the way it's painted, that's not the message of the Bible at all. We, we have sinned and we've brought into the world all the destruction and the pain that comes with it. And instead of turning away indifferently and letting us be destroyed by evil, God has drawn his war bow back and he has trained it on the enemy. He has trained it on the one handing out the hammers. Okay, but here's the problem. Without the grace that Jesus provides, we stand with the enemy. 
on his side, we stand in the path of the arrow without the grace and the mercy of God, without surrender to Christ and acknowledging our need to be saved. But here's the thing, God sent all the prophets and he came himself in Christ to warn us and help us see that we can get out of the way of the arrow. That arrow has to be loosed if we are ever going to have an end to all the suffering that sin has caused. Do you understand that? The arrow does have to be let go, but we can get out of the way. And God has gone to great lengths to, to let us know how. Well, I don't know, man. Could, has he? <laughs> I don't know. Jesus coming, the second person of the Trinity, taking on flesh. Somehow God himself being born of a virgin in a manger, living a perfect life feeding 5,000 people on hillsides and healing lepers and all this stuff to, let, to validate the fact that God is indeed among us, preach a message of the kingdom, die on a cross in front of everybody, and then rise? Yeah, yep, he has. He's, gone, he's done a lot to let us know. <laughs> and didn't stop there. Trained the apostles to go and to spread this message. You know, has, has released the power of his spirit in the world and... and so that this message can continue to be preached and the works of God can continue to be done in the earth. Uh, man. And, and God is also strong. He can hold back that string as long as needed to accomplish his goal of as many people as possible, heeding his warning to get out of the way. That's the other thing the Bible tells us. It's God's will for as many people as possible to get out of the way of the arrow. And he's strong, man. He's been holding that bow string a long time and he's not even quivering, you understand. But that, that arrow needs to hit its target for us to have what ultimately we were designed to have, which is us and him forever. The absence of sin and the striving it brings. And when we get out of the way, we, we stand behind Jesus who is our strong tower of safety because honestly, and this, this gets into how time unfolds and all of that. But in a way, the arrow was loosed upon Jesus in the form of God's wrath. He took that arrow and we get to stand behind him. That's really what it means. If you're gonna move out of the way, you're gonna move to the strong tower of Christ's protection. Because somebody had to take the full brunt of that. Somebody had to take the full brunt of God's perfect holy wrath against sin because God would not be loving if he was not wrathful against sin. How do you have all that? How does all that work? How does it all go together? That's, that's why the cross had to happen, friends. It's the only way it could. It's the only way justice and mercy can be fulfilled. But each of us will have to decide. Do we want to trust Jesus and stand behind him or do we want to stand and take that arrow on our own? And I'm real thankful the Lord made a way for us to get out of the way and even letting us join him then in shouting the message to the people of the world because he loves them. Like, hey, there is an arrow, man, and we deserve it, but you can get out of the way. You can stand behind the master and the shield of faith that he holds and lets us hold. Praise God. And, and so that's why we then, we don't have to be thrown off. We can join with the psalmist in verse 13. All of this talking about the wrath of God, it, it should not leave us confused about whether or not we can say with strong conviction, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength, and we will sing and praise your power. We can, and we will. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, thank you so much 
for Psalm 21. I thank you, Lord, for the times that we see this happen in the Psalms where it looks like there's this strong pivot and it, it makes us work to realize how these things could go together. We have to really think about it. We have to rely on the help of your spirit to, to understand how all this can, can really connect and how it's not contradictory. And, and Lord, we understand how it is for some people. And so we ask, first of all, that by the power of the, your spirit, you, you would help them, that you would remove barriers and roadblocks to them being able to trust in your goodness and to be able to see and wonder at how you can be totally holy and full of anger and wrath against sin and yet also totally loving, good, merciful, and kind because you are all those things all at once. And Lord, because you are, we can rest in your power. We know that what you do is right. Thank you, Lord, that it means so much freedom for us to not think we have to fix all the problems. We have to try to Make sure justice is exacted. Thank you, Lord. These things rest in your hands and upon your shoulders and they are mighty enough to hold them. Lord, we do. We do desire for you to be exalted in the earth. We thank you, God, not only that you've saved us, but that you've allowed us to join you in shouting out the good news of hope that we can get out of the way of that arrow. That arrow that we acknowledge must be loosed. We see that, Lord. We need your help, Master, uh, not to just keep this to ourselves, but to walk in love-motivated, holy boldness and to share the good news of your gospel with others. We love you. We thank you for all that you've done and you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.